0: You're listening to the Awesome Podcast Network.
1: This is '80s Revisited. I'm your producer Jesse Sedgley, and now your host Trey Harris. <laughs>
0: A brand new episode of '80s Revisited, as we go back underwater, deeper than before, deeper than Deep Star Six, as we now face the Leviathan. I'm your host Trey Harris. With me, as always, my producer Jesse Sedgley. Ah, uh. <laughs> here you go, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> it's so unusual. It, it's just so funny to me because Peter Weller is like a very reserved actor. You know, he's like, "What do you?" You know, hey, he's RoboCop, so. Yeah. What are you doing? And then yeah. you know he was in Into Darkness, Star Trek, and he's screamers and some other stuff. This, of course, but he's always like, "Yes, I see." You know, yeah. Very. Mm-hmm. That was kind of Jeff Goldblumy, but you know yeah, he's yeah. always like a very stoic in a sense, like kind of monotone, but in a good way. I mean, I like Peter Well. I think he's good. Uh, but then he's like, "Say oh, but my God!" Just out of character for him. It's just it's so eighties what he did right there. But he yeah. doesn't you know he's usually avoid such tropes. It's like, am but I anyway, get a
1: catchphrase out of this? <laughs> no. We're
0: going back under the water for part two of Age visit Visited Goes Deep as we talk about Leviathan this time. Much, much funner conversation, I think. <laughs> a much, much more enjoyable experience watching this as opposed to Deep Star 6. But the uh, Who, What, When, Where? Leviathan released March 17th, 1989. IMDb 5.7. Bit of an improvement, at least, over Deep Star. Mm. Rotten Tomatoes, however, critics, 14%, which is still better than 0%, which is what Deep Star had. 25% audience on that one, which happens to match the estimated budget in millions of dollars. Uh, Open for five, domestically grossed 15.7. Couldn't find any other information as far as the worldwide or the rentals go, but it definitely uh, didn't make its money back. Mm. Well, I'll take it back. It, It there's A good chance it with the combined worldwide and rentals, it might have broke even maybe at a 25 million estimated, uh, roughly rounding up to 16 domestics, starting to make up nine million. So, it TV rights and all that, it probably made its money back, but it definitely was not a hit. That's why there was no Leviathan 2.
1: Mm.
0: That and apparently, and they, he blew it. Everybody <laughs> dies at the end except the couple, all right, which is a trope we'll get to later on for the Noir Movie sure. Checklist. But anyway, this one's directed by George P. Cosmatos, a veteran of the podcast. He did Rambo 2 and Cobra, and also Tombstone, many people's favorite Western, if you like your Westerns injected with a hard dose of 90s testosterone. Oh, yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with that, because <laughs> I like Tombstone as well, yeah. but I don't agree that it's the best Western. <laughs> full Put full one-liners. Way. You know, it's great. It's a great movie. It's an action Western. Yeah, exactly. Again, if you look at it from a critical standpoint... And then as far as just an awesome, fun standpoint Two dramatically different scores mm-hmm. It's just It's great, it's great but anyway, uh, He actually unfortunately passed away in 2005 So he's no longer with us uh, This was written by David Peoples And Jeb Stewart And uh, already we talked about last week uh, we uh, mentioned it several times about just how you're going to see these movies getting better, you're going to get better production, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. David Peoples uh, has done some stuff. I was about to say, uh, <laughs> starting here with the writers <laughs> David Peoples, uh, Blade Runner, Soldier with Kurt Russell in the 90s, uh, Jeb Stewart, Die Hard, The Fugitive, uh, just some of them. Uh, David Peoples also did 12 Monkeys, yep. uh, the original movie. I uh, would imagine he might even have some input on this TV show. Who knows? Oh, yep. yeah, You yep. have yep it up. So yeah, he did the TV show as well. What else? Uh, Hero. That was the Dustin Hoffman. Unforgiven. There you go. I mean, you you have an excellent writer here. Not saying this is his best work, (laughs) Mm. but as opposed to uh, a guy who you know was an asshole to James Cameron. Not that maybe he didn't Cameron didn't deserve it from what the stories we've heard about him. But uh, to you know, writer Blade Runner, writer Soldier. Not not actually take it back. Not Soldier. Uh, Twelve Monkeys. Uh, Unforgiven Die Hard the wow. Fugitive Good pedigree yeah. Good good pedigree You're starting off good already You got a competent director I'm not going to say Cosmotox was a great director He was a competent one I uh, couldn't You know A lot of directors have a style David Fincher has a style Spielberg has a style he has a style Ridley Scott had a style Hopefully he'll get some back uh, <laughs> I mean well, he's, he's going back to his roots <laughs> I mean you know Prometheus was I think his last big one uh, so I mean he's going back to fantasy slash sci-fi and he's revisiting Blade Runner later on which please don't suck dear god please don't suck uh, but anyway in uh, starring you know, alright again you know, we talked about last week the cast a lot of TV let's see it's producer it's director go and to touch back and release Scott to make sure I got I'm current on him oh the Martian oh an ex- oh yeah he did an exodus. oh yeah yeah okay. uh, Back, Down. I mean, a lot of people really like The Martian. It, was, it wasn't a bad movie, but it wasn't like... I mean, this is the guy that did Blade Runner, Legend, Alien, you know, Gladiator, Black Hawk Down. White Squall. I mean... Hey, oh, not to knock you, but that was a good movie. I don't know that. if you, With Jeff Bridges? That's actually a really good movie. Uh, one of Jeff Bridges is more... But it's not usually named. Oh, on yeah, it's definitely it? not. It's definitely <laughs> yeah. not. It's like, that's one most people have not even seen yeah i'm sure
1: that was uh you were talking about the vhs's before that was yeah. one movie we had on vhs like that
0: mm. oh like that you had like like you owned you mean like one of those like or, recorded or, yeah. oh, oh like on off tv yeah yeah
1: either off tv or we had two vcrs so we'd rent a movie and in then copy, record it
0: yeah no, i wish i was rich like y'all growing up well we were <laughs> didn't only have two vcrs in parts. yeah i mean everybody was yeah everybody was i had the G.I. Joe aircraft carrier yeah i didn't, I had didn't, two have, VCRs, I didn't have much toys who knows what movies I would have watched repeatedly had I had that luxury, like the Sedgley's had down the road. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, uh, Peter Weller as Beck, of course, ro- veteran of the podcast Robocop, recently Star Trek in the Darkness, uh, Screamers, I mentioned those already when we were talking about him. Uh, the late, great Richard Crenna as Doc, Rambo 1 through 3, of course, and Hot Shots Part 2 mm. might come into play later. Uh, Amanda Pays mm. was Willie. Uh, I remember her mainly from two things, and that was an uh, 80s movie called The Kindred, which terrified me about watermelons for a while as a kid <laughs> and then also she was like the doctor assistant in the original flash television show which for its time I thought was amazing i haven't watched it since of course cuz i think i think you probably get it on dvd at least i'm sure but uh mm. i remember for its time the flash tv show was awesome I always the suit like they i think what was the first instance i remember of where they had like you know, the guy playing him wasn't exactly like Schwarzenegger, but the suit made up for the muscle definition, so he looked like a superhero. Mm. You know, he had that look to him, even though the flash really shouldn't be, you know, right. really big. I was ripped. flexing. You couldn't see that on the podcast, of course. Uh, yeah. but yeah, um, Freaking ripped. <clears throat> anyway, uh, Daniel Stern, of all people, is in this movie. A six-pack. Of course, Home Alone 1 or 2, uh, the narrator for The Wonder Years. Uh, great actor. You don't see him much anymore. Uh, Ernie Hudson... Ghostbusters as uh, Jones, of course, Ghostbusters 1 or 2. And I always like to remember him from The Crow because he gets off of work as a cop and leaves his hat on in his underpants and mm. <laughs> wife-beater. Never takes his uh, <laughs> hat off. Uh, Hector Elizondo as Cobb, pretty woman, necessary roughness. Uh, I-O's on the as the, the voice of Ios on Pirates of uh, Dark Water back in the early 90s. And running out the cast, Meg Foster, a veteran of the podcast as well, as Miss Martin. Of course, she was Evil Lynn in the Masters of the Universe film, and also uh, They Live, which, just saving that to cover on the podcast. Uh, so, overall, I mean, a great cast, in my opinion, like, you know, I wouldn't say any of these are bad actor. any of these we've listed are necessarily bad actors, of course, some have worked more than others, uh, so to speak, but uh, just, uh, I mean, you got a competent director, a pedigree of a great script, you have a really good cast, in my opinion, and let's not forget, A, also... Creature designed by Stan Winston, late, great Stan Winston, of course, The Thing, Terminator, Monster Squad, Pumpkinhead, Predator, Aliens, Jurassic Park. He, you know, what Tom Savini is to gore and gore effects, Stan Winston was even more than that to just practical effects and design. Mm-hmm. Uh, phenomenal talent. He died in 2008. Uh, four Academy Awards to his name. And uh, round out as well. Uh score by Gary, Jerry Goldsmith, who he also did First Blood, uh Inner Space, Poltergeist and Gremlins, all four films we've covered on the podcast before. So hmm. uh I would say his masterpiece would be Gremlins though. Can't I mean just great. It's a great name. <laughs> but anyway, so That's Star
1: Trek Star Trek, the next generation.
0: Oh really? Oh he did the thing for that? I did not know that. Did he do any he- Wait, did he do the other Star Trek too because that's a big Voyager. credit. Voyager. Okay. <laughs> but, so uh, Voyager thing was pretty good. I mean, you know, I mean that's good. good. I mean, he's ta- very talented. Uh well-known. Star Trek, Star Trek. Insurrection, First Contact. What did he do? But,
1: yeah, composer for Next Generation. Okay. That's a pretty yeah. recognizable theme.
0: Oh yeah. That's my uh, mouth harmonica or mouth trumpet. <laughs> Whatever you want to call that instrument that I just played, but anyway, Leviathan. This is one I'm I watched. The motion picture. Okay, so he pretty much did the Star Trek score. Yeah, the, uh, he is Mr. Star Trek. Yeah, go, I mean, did he even do? Go back. I don't see the uh, TV series, but the original TV series. Oh, the say, original. But, no, no, no. Doo, doo, but he he, doo, 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 doo. he made what we well, you hear today. Pretty much, he's responsible for that. Yeah, uh, more orchestral because I remember the original Star Trek TV theme was very like synthesizer, simple. Yeah, with a the theremin. Yeah. But uh, anyway, Leviathan, uh, two-sentence synopsis, group of uh, oil drillers on the bottom of the ocean, or I'm sorry, miners on the bottom of the ocean, encounter an alien. Mm. That's all you need to know.
1: Wait, can we just watch (laughs) that?
0: I think so, but this one seems to look better, and sound better, and the creature looks scary, and the acting is better, and everything is fucking better in Leviathan, as opposed to last week's Deep Star 6. It's just a fact. I'm sorry. It's science. Uh, I will say this, however, at least Deep Star 6 had some actual underwater footage. Uh, the the best thing, about, one of the best things about what revisiting Leviathan is that when you're watching it, when you're watching it as a kid on TBS and 480i, mm-hmm. uh, I would have, I could have swore they were underwater for a lot of this. No, bruh. <laughs> they were on a, a dry stage with things floating in the air and then color corrected to appear to be underwater. There's no bubbles. <laughs> Nothing's bubbling. There's some insert shots of things underwater that bubble, but these actors in these suits are not underwater. Uh, I mean, a great trick for the time, but in that you know, it, everything's high def now. You can't. Yeah. It, you, it. It just like I'm just like, are they in space? They must be in space. <laughs> they could recut this movie to be in space, and it would make sense. Uh, but a lot of the early stuff, when you see them outside, you'll. Uh, we're watching it right now, skipping through it, so Jesse can see this. That, see, there, there's uh, an actual underwater shot. We're watching of something blow up. But then it's going to cut to the actors, and they're just walking around a stage <laughs> in these big suits. But, uh, you know, again, for the time, look great. Uh, see, they just put stuff floating <laughs> in the air. Uh, went to that later with the tree. I think I had something on that. Wow. But anyway. So, yeah, they're underwater. They're mining. They've got to meet their quota. Then Daniel Stern, in typical Daniel Stern fashion, as would become in Home Alone, he bungles into a Russian uh, ship. And finds out that, you know, they were experimenting with mutagens, and then all of a sudden it becomes... Whoa. <laughs> See, look, that's, a, that's just props on a, yeah. on a dry stage. But uh, anyway, so a, a better title for this film, although, I mean, I'll, it's, it's cool to have underwater as a setting, because we've been to space, you know, so... But Leviathan Alien Thing mm-hmm. would be a better title, because it's basically Alien and the Thing Underwater. Is pretty much exactly that. Be a better synopsis. A one sentence synopsis for this film would simply be that it pulls a lot from those films. But hey, sincerity or uh, flattery is the most sincere. No, wait, what is it? imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so this is a this is a great example of a, just a late late eighties fun film building on you know a lot. Of, I mean, you see it today. I mean, everything's building on what's come before, using ideas from this and this and combining them to make something new, a mashup, if you will. Uh, but Leviathan does it in a good way, I think. Uh, visiting it, this is this is one that I watched a whole lot as a kid. This one played a lot on TBS and TNT and USA and all that. You know, back in the day, caught it a lot. Had it. This is one I actually recorded on VHS, like we talked about last week, where I could rewatch it whenever I wanted, which I did a few times. Because again, you know, in the '80s, I'm watching RoboCop. Uh, I'm trying to think. It was Ernie Hudson saying from Ghostbusters? Uh, Oh, God, I can see his uniform. It was Ernie Hudson. <laughs> he played himself. Uh, Winston yeah. Zedmore. Yeah. You know, you got Robocop, Winston Zedmore, Evil Lynn, and, you know, the chick from The Flash to me, and, you know, the colonel from Rambo underwater fighting an alien that, you know, takes their shape like the thing. So, yeah, but uh, With a Vex, again, by Stan Winston, which one of the biggest complaints I think for this film for me is that you don't see it enough. You know, in, pre- in Alien and Predator, you know, they do a lot of Hitchcocky and stuff that coins Spielberg's excuse for not showing the shark in Jaws, instead of just saying it's not working, uh, to where like you know slow reveals of the of the monster, uh, but you know an alien, uh, you know it becomes to where you see it, you know you see the beauty of it, and you see the design of it, and how awesome it is. And then in Predator, of course, you know you want ugly motherfucker, you right. know the big reveal in Predator, and the you know you thought he was impressive, then he takes off the mask and like Jesus, that's a incredible design and everything. And still holds up, even in high def on Blu-ray. Yeah. This film, you really don't see you see, you know, bits and pieces and tentacles of the creature, but you really don't get much of like that good kind of like, okay, this is what it's become. You, right at the very end, it's above water. Spoiler alert. It's an underwater <laughs> movie in the eighties. You heard the checklist last week. Yep. You obviously know some things are gonna be repeated <laughs> here. You know, but uh as a kid, like loved it. You know, it, it was never really scary, but it I was like, you know, it, it just it, it has it, it distinctly has an aliens vibe throughout the entire thing, but you got a creature that is more resemblant of the thing in terms of how it operates and how it's you know taking people over basically and all that kind of thing, and it gets their memories and stuff. So, you know, hey, uh, you know, I didn't I wrote Blade Runner and you wrote Die Hard, but You know, Aliens was really kind of cool. Yeah, I like that movie, too. And The Thing, man, this movie was a great, wait a second, what if we combined them? Yeah, we can't do it in space. Hmm, a cave. No, a volcano. No, underwater. Let's go deeper. Yeah, James Cameron, my friend, is writing a movie about something underwater. Maybe we we (laughs) ought to beat him to the punch and go underwater. Uh, But no, that's not exactly what happened. But, who knows? I mean, the idea for Predator came because they, want, they didn't know who, they were a joke about who Rocky would fight next, since they said it would be in E.T. So Rocky versus an alien became Predator. Listen to that podcast of ours for that. Well, it was <laughs> one of the first ones we did, I think, early on. One the, I think that was the first Arnold movie we did. I think. And actually, if I had to think, I think that's episode 25. Because we did, I think that was our first Arnold movie. I might be wrong. <laughs> but I am a lot. It happens. It just, it just happens. But anyway, yeah, and then uh, but revisiting this one, the effects still hold up. I mean, again, we're not talking Walking Dead caliber. I mean, we're talking 1989 practical effects. Still look good, uh, even in high def. The, again, the worst effect here. The worst thing you see here is well, they're supposed to be underwater and they're walking around, walking around a soundstage with chicken feathers floating through the air. Right. I mean, that's that's the worst effect. Uh, but it's competently acted. Uh, it's you know it's directed well for it is. I mean, it's not. You know, a, a more seasoned horror director probably could have done a lot better, obviously, with uh, with the film in terms of just the general direction. Uh, but again, I mean, Cosmos is not a bad director, but he's not a great one either. You know, he's you go to him for, I guess, you know, you can't get Scott Ridley Scott or Spielberg. You can get a comato- uh, Cosmatos, if I can pronounce his name right, as opposed to a Sean Cunningham, at least. But uh, anyway, yeah, uh, this one, uh, you're probably going to have to buy it. Uh, to check it out or you know, find it through other means. You know? However you want to you know, search the internet, you probably could find it. It might be on YouTube and one of those little things. But uh, this one, last Deep Star 6, if you saw it as a kid, let those memories stay, let them flourish. Mm-hmm. But uh, Leviathan's worth watching again because so many aspects of it do hold up. Still not a great film, but it's worth watching you know, in, in, with mod, with your adult eyes, so to speak. Oh, here we go. Here's a tagline from a looks like a, a VHS release. <laughs> Aliens thrilled you. The fly shocks you. Now experience real fear, Leviathan. And here's the tagline we heard last week's: you know, save your last breath to scream. This one is: it will leave you gasping for air. It's so all these clever, wow. different ways to say you're you you can not breathe where this movie takes place. Is what's happening here?
1: Oh, Peter Weller got his name covered up oh, by well, the a science, science fiction, fiction tag.
0: sticker. <laughs> Four dollars to rent it for a week. Wow, that's a bargain.
1: Back in the day, for a week, get out to your local blockbuster. and Make that happen.
0: Yeah, I mean blockbuster. What were the new releases like? Four ninety nine, three ninety nine. Can't believe they put back that on the, the cover day.
1: so much, listing these other movies.
0: Well, again, they're trying to. Hey, uh, if you like this, you should check this out because we didn't make our money back at the box office like The Fly and uh, Aliens did.
1: I think we're at that point, you know, in today's world where being like something else is not a good thing.
0: Yeah. It's becoming like, oh, another remake or yeah. board you know, games
1: it used to be like that too.
0: I think it's, it's like, oh, what is this like? Oh,
1: then people will buy it. Yeah, I mean I think sure uh,
0: Video games used to, I think video games have kinda toned it down because of the development costs for consoles now are so expensive, but like PlayStation, yeah. you'd have, you know, Resident Evil, then you had a ton of Resident Evil clones that like most people never even heard of or played because yeah. they were like dime a dozen. Yeah. Same thing with PS two. And then you kinda nowadays it's like you know, there are few, much fewer game releases, physical at least, or big AAA releases, I should say. Yeah. But there's a shit ton of the user... I mean, no, not user-made, but uh, indie game yeah. stuff that kind of... But even those, that's where the real creativity and uniqueness really comes in for a lot of them that are actually making... Yeah, it, there's no limits. Yeah, as opposed to... The big boys are actually more... You know, Call of Duty's are repeating what they've done. Yeah. Resident Evil's are repeating what they... You know, all the big names are repeating... Which, I mean, that's what you'd expect from a series. Don't get me wrong, but, sure. you know... but. uh I mean, that's what Leviathan did, you know, same kind of thing. You know, it's got its merits, but I'm not going to play the multiplayer yeah. or, you know, whatever. Well, I hope, ex- like,
1: <laughs> games like Doom don't keep repeating the same old
0: well, first person. I hope it doesn't. Well, quick aside with Doom, I don't know if you played the beta or not, but, like, I, I was, I'm, I'm still excited for the single player of the new Doom. Mm-hmm. But playing the beta, it was like, it's fucking Call of Duty shit again. Like, it is. Loadouts, custom, like, okay... I, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't. I don't need to see a pink armored with purple pants marine space marine running around in Doom. Yeah. With like Halo ar- looking armor shit. No. Green. Everybody's the same fucking character, and it's deathmatch. Just kill. Yeah. Oh. Oh. And uh, it takes two rockets to kill somebody in the new Doom. What? Like no, they the used shotgun to splatter back in the day. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> That's the first. The first thing I did. Like, oh, hello. it comes with the rocket launcher. Fuck yeah! It's fucking Doom. Wow. Nah, bro. No. Uh, t- one. Wait. I'm like. Wait. It must be lag. This dude did not die from this direct rocket hit. Yeah, they they call a duty doom as far as the multiplayer. However, the uh, single player, you know, still looks pretty awesome with like the the kills and everything. The uh, like almost fatality type stuff you can do. Hmm. But anyway, talking about Leviathan, which never had a video game based on it. Should have. Well, well, go play Bioshock. There's a good game that takes place underwater. No aliens though. (laughs) But anyway, yeah, revisiting it. uh, Recommend revisiting it. Uh, it still holds up in terms of the practicalness of the film. You know, no CGI here. All practical stuff. So everything you see is real in the sense of that it exists and the actors are interacting with it, which uh, I, and honestly does, I think, I mean, a lot of actors today are, I think are trained. You know, they've they've developed their craft acting at nothing. In ter- Like, yeah, uh, Dennis Quaid, uh, hey, there's a dragon next to you. Or uh, this tennis ball's a dragon. Yeah. Attack the dragon. Attack the tennis ball. You know, whereas a lot, you know, back in, in the 80s and early 90s, even on Jurassic Park, you know, it's, you know, in some recent movies still try to, you know, uh, uh, Winter Soldier, they they want, the directors, the Russo brothers, want to do a lot of practical stuff. They only mm-hmm. use CG when they kind of had to. You know, you can't make a carrier. Yeah. But yeah. A, a lot of that film is practical stunts, practical effects, and it shows. It shows in the film. Mad Max, same thing. Yep. They add, Yeah, they added some mountains and some shit and maybe made some explosions bigger, but those dudes are on those fucking cranes swinging Everything back and forth. Everything you're looking at. That matters is there. And it makes a difference. It's so, it, it's so funny that that is what's fresh air in modern cinema, to me at least. Yeah, You know, as opposed to like, oh, I mean, he's on a blue, you know, there's a screen behind him.
1: Yeah. Because there was a concern like, oh, one day CG's going to get so good, they're not going to need actors anymore. But.
0: They've tried. They've tried. Robert Definitely. Zemeckis has tried repeatedly with his yeah. CG films. Scary. And some of them are good, but it's, you know, the Uncanny Valley is still. A real thing. Unapproachable, uncrossable. Uh, mm. But anyway, some uh, behind-the-scenes stuff on this one. Uh, near the beginning of the film, when Tony Rodero's c- uh, character is about to run out of oxygen, uh, between the 3D animations and strange interferences on the monitor, you actually there's a brief clip of Luxo, Luxo, I should say, uh, Pixar's logo with a ball, like in the first ever short film made by Pixar, Luxo Jr. Because some of the uh, crew here, like developed that, developed the uh, computer, you know, obviously fake computer screens for these films. Uh, to Pixar. I could try to find more information on that, but it's either a it's happenstance or b somebody worked, you know, somebody who developed that from Pixar worked on this film. Couldn't find a confirmation of that. So, mm-hmm. but anyway, uh, audio from this film. Any Nine Inch Nails fans, fans listening? You would ins- instantly recognize. So, uh, uh, blah, 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 tongue tied. You would recognize that the song "Reptile" from the Downward Spiral samples uh, audio clips from this film in certain little parts of it. Strangely wow. enough. Yeah, of all know, films. Uh, We
1: love Leviathan (laughs) inspired me
0: Reznor Reznor had some interesting influences the door nothing studios was the door from the Sharon Tate house and the Manson murders until Katrina blew it away Uh, so he knows where it is now so he is very odd Uh, and actually uh, no no, I'm sorry because we're talking about doom but it was smashing pumpkins and melancholy infinite sadness to where they sampled uh, sound effects from doom for one of the songs on it I think it was the door opening or the rocket blast sound effect was sampled in Hmm. some song on there but anyway, uh, we talked about uh, how a lot of the scenes were not shot underwater. Uh, very few scenes were shot underwater. Uh, they went for a dry for wet look with most of the scenes inside the shack taking place on sound stages. And a t- even though it was a tank measuring 130, 130 feet by 27 feet, that's what, just where the set was built. But they never filled it with water. So it was built in a tank. It just wasn't. Mm. They didn't use water, strangely enough. Why would you? For an underwater movie. Yeah, why would you? Even Sean Cunningham in Deep Star 6 had a like a, a massive flooding stage you know, too that, that wet. actually flooded. But uh, that's one thing I guess you can say better about that one. But in designing the creature of the film, Stan Winston and uh, the director, uh, George Cosmatos, they went through kind of a mini library, library of marine life and medical reference books because they were inspired by basically sea, sea creatures, You know, as in the film, meld or... Mutate humans mutate in the sea creatures, so you have you know a ninja turtle basically character mm. that a human uh, humanoid the muta- Is mutating into a fish creature but retains that humanoid aspect while taking on the aquatic elements. Uh, so which you know, in the brief glimpses you actually get of the creature, you see that I mean, it's it you know, it, it looks like it could fight the ninja turtles in the new movie almost yeah. because it's <laughs> it's very fishy for lack of a, a stupid not, not a fishy pun
1: about these creatures.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Not mean not mean to be a pun, but it looks you know like a humanoid fish, like if humanity had evolved out of from fish instead of monkeys, type thing. Which you know again they kind of lifted that thought process from the thing for the most part because there's 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 one effect that they and again, I mean Stan Winston did work on the thing, so you can maybe even call it an homage to what he did on the thing. But the people that it absorbs faces appearing on the body of the creature, that's the thing. That's literally the thing. Uh, but anyway. Score-wise, uh, for this one, critically, uh, kind of like we talked about last week. I mean, it's 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 competently done, like on a, on a, a critical aspect. I'd say a middle of the road five. Mm. Uh, you know, it's not the people who worked on its best movie that they did. Obviously, when Blade Runner's in your repertoire, or even Die Hard of The Fugitive, that's not your best writing to say Leviathan is. Uh, or Co- George Costanza. I think you know Rambo, Tombstone. All in terms of direction, much better suited to at least his style. Uh, acting-wise, I mean, nobody really turned in a bad job, I'd say. I mean, you know, it's still odd seeing Daniel Stern as kind of a horny uh, miner instead of a bumbling burglar, although he does bumble into the Russian uh, (laughs) ship and everything. But, uh, yeah, as a kid, loved it, liked it, liked it a lot. Uh, of course, Aliens, I guess the rights were just never really released much on television a lot back in the day because I remember it came on once, and that was the first time I saw it, and then, you know, uh... Again, couldn't just go out and buy VHSs readily. And then, like, it finally came on again, like on ABC or CBS. Finally recorded it again to so where I had Aliens, but I had Leviathan repeatedly. Almost didn't even have to have it on VHS because uh, it's, CBS and TNT and USA would show it, you know, once a month at least. It'd, there'd be some block of, you know, uh, Leviathan and some other Masters of the Universe, even or something. You know, there'd always be some, you know, starting at eight o'clock on a f- Saturday or even earlier, sometimes be an all day kind of block or actually the cool thing they would do back in the day, like uh, I think USA was the big one that would do it. Like on Saturday, they'd play like three movies during the day, but then like around nine o'clock at night, the three movies would repeat again. Mm. So, oh shit, I missed uh, recording this. Oh, it's coming back. Let me set the VCR, program it on the remote to start recording at uh, 12.01 because there's always an intro with Ronda Shear or whatever, although I should have recorded that because those were really nice to look at as a kid. But anyway... Yeah, critically, I'd say it's middle of the road. It's a five if you're judging it from like the critical aspect. I mean, it's just you know, it's just not, you know, it's not a blockbuster. It's it's there's element. All the elements are there. It just kind of doesn't come through in the end. But uh, my personal score, I'd give it a six. I still like it. Uh, of course,
1: it's about what they gave it on one, IMDb.
0: Up oh, yeah, five point seven. So they're kind the of in between. the highest
1: average actually.
0: Males give it a 5.7. it registers a couple of percentage points higher, point percentage points higher, with females giving it a 5.9, strangely enough. It's the romance. Yeah. You know, P- <laughs> Peter Weller is just such a romantic. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. The demographic that gives it the highest, oh, the IMDb staff at 6.5. <laughs> oh, I don't know probably, why that's funny. Actually, okay, not counting IMDb, not counting IMDb, the highest demographic is females age 45 plus giving it 6.1. I didn't even know you could break down these demographics. That's really kind of interesting yeah. for the films. <laughs> yeah. I did not even know that. I want to have fun and tomorrow at most work when people, I'm bored.
1: Most people give it a six.
0: 27% say it's a six, just like yeah. me. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, it, it, again, you know, if you haven't seen it since you were younger, and remember you know, fondly staying up late watching it on cable, it's definitely worth revisiting. It's, uh, I think it, it holds up, which is good, definitely, aside from, again, seeing it in high def, yeah. you see that they're not actually underwater. So that does detract a bit from it. But again, the, I mean, the creature looks good. The sounds, the music's good. Uh, the creature, I mean, uh, the acting is well done. There's not like, you know, there's no blatantly bad acting in it, I would say. Everybody here does what you'd expect them to do as far as their previous performances put it that way. Mm. So I would recommend definitely revisiting it. Uh, if you're in the mood for an underwater, evil alien movie or mm. non-friendly alien film, go to Leviathan Don't go to Deep Star 6. Excuse me. In the real world, again, this released March 17th, 1989. On the same day, the Civic Tower of Pavia, built in the 14th century. Well, that was the last day that it stood because it crumbled down. Oh, wow. On the same day this film released. Saint Patty's Day? After the 14th century. (laughs) So, yeah. A historical treasure. Just, you know. They don't make them like they used to. (laughs) No. To last for centuries. You know, my house leaked after 10 years, so... There you go. You know, <laughs> American made. Mm. Whatever. But anyway, uh I have, of course, Back to the Future this week. We're let's go back to our 80s underwater movie checklist. Ah, yes. As we go through these and see what Leviathan does. That deeps uh i almost call it deep space. How many, nine. Total,
1: how many total uh
0: <laughs> Oh, it's a lot things? because I had I had so many. I kept thinking, oh, that was in that one. I just wrote them down. It was a stream of consciousness writing. Sure, sure, down. sure. Oh, uh, one, two, I- three, one. A lot, twenty. Let's just say, let's say twenty. Count them up. Count them I think you'll go g- fifteen out of twenty. Okay, that's a. Uh, let's see. There's a. Uh, there's a lot of green on this <laughs> list. Okay, here we go. Just a shot in the dark. The underwater '80s movie checklist. Was there one African American? Check. Yes. Same thing for that and Deep Star Six. The end involve an escape to the surface. Yes. Check. Which again, that's a trope. I understand that. An alien or monster. Check. Close-up of an 80s computer monitor with the text typing letter by letter. Yes. Check! Threat of nuclear detonation. Not in this one. No. I was kind of (laughs) disappointed. I was hoping we get all three for that one. Uh, One character with an 80s mustache. Also, no, not in Leviathan. Er There was a lot of uh, goatees and beards. No mustache. Uh, For some reason, I could have swore. I remember Daniel Stern or Er Ernie Hudson having a mustache, but that was Ghostbusters. No mustache. That was a crow, I should say, for Ernie Hudson. He had a mustache at Ghostbusters, didn't he? I think. Anyway, I'm confused by Ernie Hudson catalog <laughs> here. Uh, so, no 80s mustaches, though so we did have, you know, scraggly beards. Close but no cigar, unfortunately. Character narrow- narrowly escapes the flooding room. Not in this one. Wow. Which was strange for the, the genre that we're in. Well, my uh,
1: 15's looking good now.
0: Yeah, yeah. Main, <laughs> main couple solidifies their shaky relationship and survive. Of course. I give that a kind of a half thumbs up because they uh, weren't necessarily a couple, but they basically allude to the fact that they're going to be a couple now. Yeah, 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 So basically, they solidify their relationship that wasn't shaky, but they do survive. Uh, dan- uh, danger of running out of air? Also, not an issue in this one. Wow. Strangely enough, danger of decompression? Yes. Nope. Oh, really? In this one, it was all about implosion. Oh. They were all like, we're going to implode. <laughs> it wasn't about decompressing. Although they didn't really need to decompress, even though they're deep. You know what I mean, guys. Deep- okay, Deep Star 6, they're so low with the ocean, they're, you know, they're still light to where you can see the complex underwater. Here, you know, it's like much, it's a bit darker at least. So let's sure. say they're deeper. And Deep Star 6, the big thing was you got to decompress. And this one, they don't even, I think they mentioned the word once, but that's the least of their worries. Like, no, we just got to get out of here. Oh. So. Although I will say this, when their suits are going up, it does flash on their HUD like decompressing, decompressing. Uh, but it's never like an issue; like you have to worry about it. It's like, yeah. like, oh yeah, wait a second, you have to decompress when you come up. Oh, we'll just, we'll just throw in a cut-in shot of it if it's showing yeah. this suit, suits showing the decompressing. It's not an issue for us, basically. Uh, so, in a sense, that's another half thumbs up. I mean, I mean, a uh, half check on that uh, underwater collision. Not in this one. They really weren't outside much, except for they go to the ship, and that's roughly about it. They go outside like once or twice.
1: What about colliding on those rocks whenever you tripped at the beginning?
0: Well, you can can say that. (laughs) You can can use that if if that gives you 15. Nah, (laughs) fist fight depends when I need them. (laughs) Fist fight between characters? Surprisingly, no. No fist fights. Although, a woman does slap a guy, but that's not a fist fight. Hmm. So, again, eh, close, but no cigar. Does somebody flip out in this film? Oh, I skipped one, sorry. Firearms? No. However... On this deep sea underwater mining rig, they have flamethrowers. And not right. just one, they have three of them. <laughs> I will say this. I love the design of the flamethrowers in this film. Yeah. They're, like, they're, cool, they're very futuristic and kind of cool looking. They don't belong in an underwater movie.
1: And they're not necessary to have four flames at the end of your <laughs> nozzle. It's just
0: cool looking. One's good enough. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just a visual <laughs> look when the people are holding them. Uh, somebody flips out. Check. The doc does in this one by ejecting all the escape pods. A defibrillator comes into play. Not in this one. Strangely enough, I mean, not strange enough, I was hoping, there were some odd ones I was like, God, it's in two of the three. It's got to be in the third. Oh, it's not in the third one. Mm. Uh, spoilers for some of them. Mm. <laughs> Final battle on the surface? Check. Russians? Check. <laughs> Hurricane prevents evac? Check. However, it is revealed at the end of this film that that's merely a ruse to have the crew completely killed off so they can then get the specimen. Ooh. Another alien trope for, like, for for you know, sure, you know, of course, Meg Foster is playing the role of Lance Henriksen from Alien 3 here. We're like, yeah, we want it alive. We want you dead so we can harvest it and use it for military operations. Uh, let's see. Hurricane Red Sea Vac. So, yeah, thumbs sums up, basically, even though it's a, it's a psych. Uh, a Garfield reference. Check. Kick-ass VHS art. Hell, yeah, two thumbs up. Check. Mm-hmm. Some characters have call signs. Check. Dana Stern's called Six Pack instead of his real name, which we don't know. Uh, mining operation. Check. And finally, hot shots part. Do. Actor? Check. Richard Grena. So there you go. And I will, I will a little spoiler. That's the last time we'll see that one being checked off. Oh uh, okay. <laughs> Unfortunately.
1: Two out of three, ain't bad?
0: Yeah, yeah you can't. You know, a lot of these are two out of three, for the most part. Yeah. So there's the checklist. again. And yes, I know some of these are tropes. I know you're, if you didn't pay attention to the last one or you didn't want to listen to Deep Star Six, I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah, I know some of those are tropes, but surprisingly, some of those tropes didn't appear. In one of the three underwater alien films that all came out in 1989. Hmm. So there you go. That is Leviathan, and don't forget to uh, let us know uh, what you think uh, at asiavisit@gmail.com. Uh, we did get a review on iTunes, which I'd like to address. What? I'd like to address what he says. Oh, <clears throat> it's not good. Oh, no, it's a three star. It's good. I, I take a three star. Three star. No, but come um, on, people, give by, us the five. This was D. Uh, I enjoy the host's enthusiasm and obvious passion for these movies. Thank you. However, they, and I'm sure they mean me because uh, you don't tend sh- to do this, Jesse. No. <laughs> they tend show. to get off track more often than not, which can get distracting. Also, he starts talking loudly at times and often in odd voices. Hey, that's kind of like my thing. I can't stop doing that. That's my thing. <laughs> it's but, charming. I don't know it. if you just started listening or not, but I do uh, bad impressions. <laughs> they're meant to be bad, which can get a bit annoying. So, yes, I know, I know they're bad. I'm mm-hmm. sorry they're annoying. But that's just kind of how, how I am, so mm. to speak. And getting off on the tangents, sometimes that works for the benefit of the podcast, sometimes it doesn't. So I'm sorry, but that, you know, it's free form, we don't edit. Uh, so I did try to stay on track a little bit more, just to you know, be, keep it going a little more uh, along with the podcast, uh, along with the show, because I do know, some episodes, honestly, you know, some of the shorter ones where we just didn't have a lot to say, the tangents more than the show. That is a valid criticism, I understand that. But, you know, that's, that's the charm and the magic of 80s revisited oh. and i'm sorry you don't like my ad voices <laughs> but uh that hey that's sorry what you get. I, I can't help that that's just you know that's just as and we're, when we're talking they just come out yeah. um, maybe i'm schizophrenic and don't know it you're
1: listening to a conversation
0: here exactly mm-hmm. so but hey i appreciate you taking the time to leave the feedback uh thank you for the positives and you know the negatives for you know uh, i i do keep that in mind but you know yeah. Uh, talking loudly, I, I, I do try to monitor where I am with the mic. So sometimes it does get a little off. Yeah. And sometimes I get excited or sometimes my back hurts. So I have to lean closer. So I, am, I do try to be mindful of that. So, but nevertheless, thank you for just letting us know what you think. We really appreciate it. You know, that, that does nothing but help the podcast get better and, you know, keep us mindful of things that actually are detrimental to it. Now so we know. We like to know that. So thank you. G, I say, DCROM. Yo, DCROM. Cowbunga, bro. Deep appreciate it, uh, but also let us know what you think—good or bad. It doesn't matter. We like it. We just—it's better. Wow. To, I'd rather know. You know, don't don't be those friends that are like, yeah, man, your your local band's really good. Really like your band, man. And then you know, <laughs> you don't buy a CD to support them. Uh, you know, let us know what you really think. We appreciate it. You know, that, that's how that's how years. you get better.
1: It's been a long time since we had. A-
0: yeah, it's hard to believe we've been doing this for so long. Yeah. We don't do it for the reviews. We do it for. You, the listener. Uh, but anyway, let us know what you think. Uh, let us know your memories of Leviathan. And, of course, you know, anything you have about D-Star 6 or any of the other underwater movies we might have missed. Because there were some other ones that came out that I had never heard of and probably could not even find if I tried to look for them. Hmm. Uh, because nobody else knew about them either. <laughs> Until you go to IMDb and click on, you know, underwater movies list. And you see, wait, there are all the other, other ones that came out. But anyway, check us out. Uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook, the Internet, at Awesome Pods. Uh, check out the other podcasts on the Awesome Podcast Network. And as always, a big shout out to our good friends in Lafayette, Louisiana, John and James with the Now versus Nostalgia podcast. As I've said before, we stick to the 80s, but uh, our good friends, James and John, they do everything no matter. There's no time constraints. It's just how it was then and what they think now. So always mm. entertaining. And you'll hear some great uh, opinions of some movies that you'll never hear on here because we keep it real. We keep it in the 80s. Keep so, it real. That's just 80 slang. That's not a yeah, diss. Yeah. That's not a diss to my homeboys. That's yeah. just that's just slang, bro. But anyway, so we will finally go as deep as we can possibly go in terms of movie depth. I tried. To, I looked all day today to like find like a. I figured somebody would have had to have, would have had to have had some sort of little infographic of like what hmm, the deepest movie. Yeah, is. exactly. I'm pretty sure it's the abyss because they. They say like you've gone deeper than any man's gone before, and then he goes like another. He doubles that. So I'm yeah. pretty sure it's the deepest. Yeah. If I'm mistaken, let me know. Uh, you do the science research, Neil deGrasse Tyson. If you're listening, you know, because you like to shit on movies when the stars aren't right for that time of year. Yeah. Which hey, that's cool, but I don't need. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I don't, you know, James Cameron did. He changed Titanic because you said the stars were wrong. <laughs> but in, hey, that's fine. Hey, you know. It's, that's James Cameron and speaking of Mr. Cameron we'll talk about The Perfectionist himself next week as we go as deep as we could possibly go as we talk about The Abyss and again shit goes uphill on these movies so Mm -hmm. it's just getting better and better Uh, if you are gonna watch it and you either haven't seen it or haven't seen it since you know VHS days uh, I would highly recommend going with the special edition version it adds a lot to the film that's not in the theatrical release Uh, it's not necessarily a director's cut uh Per se, which we'll talk about next week when we talk about it. but if you do have the option, just make sure you're watching the special Edition. It's a much more uh, cohesive uh, piece, if you ask me. Hmm. So stick with the special edition on that one. Uh, if you're going to watch it, it's a pre-game for the podcast next week. So until next week, everybody. Oh. Um, no? We'll oh. Continue. I thought, oh. Oh, that's you don't want to talk about that. Till next <laughs> no, week. No. That's for that's for next week. Yeah. But anyway, till next time everybody, I remain Trey Harris. Yes, he said you. Kawabungo!